0: it's the pre w smith show with jeff sloan ahead of the paul w smith show at six
1: on 760 wjr all right welcome back it is the pre w smith show we're uh, leading up to the paul w smith show soon sitting in for paul this morning and i believe all week jim harper marie osborne we're in good hands if you can't have paul how about having jim and marie take the helm of the Paul W. Smith show as they will be this morning. Now, Mark Pastoria, Kristen Kajawa, we've got uh, an interesting subject matter to cover in this segment. And, you know, it's about these, what do you call it? The replacement, the meat replacement products that are out there on the market these days, you know, whether it's the impossible burger at Burger King or, you know, beyond meat that you can find in the grocery stores, your chicken nuggets now, or whatever this plant-based product, that is synthesized, created in the in the labs and in the production process and then shipped out as replacement for meat. Now for me, I love the idea of this product and I want to embrace it. I really do. Have you guys tried it? Are you using the product at all? We're big fans at our house. Really? Yes. Kristen Even Kay. my kids. Yeah, your kids like it. Love it. Oh my God. It's so good to hear. Mark, you tried it? I Mark? haven't tried it yet. You're a, you're a purist. You got it. I'm a purist. <laughs> I just had a burger yesterday. Barbecue burger. Of course. A great weekend uh, barbecue. Can't beat that. But here's the thing. I tried it and I have to tell you now, Kristen, I'm going to need your tips on what you're buying because I tried it. And, and Now this was in fairness. This was one prize. It was the uh, impossible burger at Burger King. I didn't love it, but I'm going to hang in there. I want it to work now. Chloe Sorvino, she's a staff writer at Forbes. She covers food and agriculture at Forbes. She's got news that, you know, in spite of all the hype and excitement around this area and even the millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that are poured in by investors into these artificial meat products, it's not faring so well. There's not a lot of repeat business. Chloe's got the story for us. Chloe.
0: Thank you for having me on to talk about this. I mean, it's pretty crazy stuff. I mean, billions and billions of dollars has been flowing into the startups that are trying to sell these meatless meats. But it really seems like this movement has fizzled before the trend ever really got going. And there's a bunch of different data points and indicators that speak to all of that, but it really boils down to the headline. It's been a lifeless market from sales, uh, retail, to fast food chains, to really what's happening on the private capital markets, and even what's happening on the public markets. I mean, I think there's a whole host of issues with what's currently on the market from taste, texture to nutrition, health. I mean, even just the ingredient sourcing and how those actually impact the environment. I think there was a lot of really big hopes for meatless meat. It was going to be better for us. It was going to be better for the environment. It was going to be way less harmful than the meat that it was trying to replace. But I think in all of it, a lot of the technology hasn't really changed from around a century ago when some of these like extrusion, you know, technologies and, and some of like the first soy based products were coming out like around like World War II, honestly. And so that's still what a lot of these current, the current generation of products that are out there, like that's what they're, how they're being manufactured. And I think it really shows, you know, 79 million U.S. households are purchasing meatless meat, but that's only one percentage point change from 2020. So, I mean, it's really seems like people are checking out these analogous products. They're interested in trying new foods, but they're not exactly coming back to purchase again. And the repeat purchasing is where I think the cliff really starts to fall off.
1: Yeah. You know, I personally want to embrace it, not the least of all for reasons relating to, I can't stand the idea of wasting meat product, you know, literally having animals live worthless lives and end up in the trash bin. I I just can't stand the thought of that. So I, you know, I'm trying to eat less meat, both for health reasons as well. So for me, I tried it. I wanted to give it a chance. I sure wanted to be a lifelong customer. I didn't like the taste at all. I really didn't. It's tough, tough to make the switch.
0: It can be a little dry. It can also like miss on color. I think the texture is really not there yet. And I think, you know, when you're using commoditized products that are, you know, also by the way, foreign with pesticides that are damaging the environment majorly. But, you know, there's just a lot of flavor science and engineering that's going into these products, but that still has been missing the mark. And, It's a problem because there's so much pressing environmental and social challenges that require like such urgent social action. But I do worry that consumers are trying this once and maybe they might not be as interested in trying again. And, you know, some of the investors who are really deeply covering the space and investing and trying to see what grows now say that, you know, there are some better technologies out there, second generation, third generation, that maybe they're more, you know, optimistic about, but they're kind of really far off. And at the end of the day, the first generation might have lost the consumers and they might not be willing to come back for a second time in a few years.
1: Yeah. And as we know, it's much harder to get someone to come back and try you again after they've already formed an opinion, you know, forged an opinion about whether or not they're going to be a customer. You know, on the one hand, you want to rush to market, be the first to market, have that first mover advantage. You certainly, you know, want to, I mean, there was all these IPO possibilities and excitement, tons of venture capital pouring into the sector, a lot of pressure there, a lot of pressure to get out and start earning revenue and making sales, really essentially proving market demand and all the rest. But as you said, maybe they pushed too fast. Maybe they came out too soon that they hadn't perfected their product yet.
0: Oh, absolutely. There's so much to learn. And I think I'll start with that word pressure, which you talk about, because, you know, my work at Forbes, I mean, I'm one of the few people who's really covering like the financial aspect of these investments and what's happening on the private markets and the public markets and how that's been driving this boom, but then it hasn't really been seeing the adoption it needs. And so when you talk about pressure, right, there's investor pressure because there's investor expectation, like taking a step back. And a lot of this is from, you know, I've done eight years reporting at Forbes on food And I've got actually a book coming out about this topic too in December. It's called Raw Deal. Um, It talks about the meat industry and also a lot of the disappointment with with the meatless meat startups that are getting this major funding but not really getting the customers to, to back it like the investors want. And I think the takeaway I'd love to share right now is about the investment because the food industry has gone through the past decade or so of a major boom. It's been driven by these alternative protein startups. And essentially, it originally turned the market on its head investors had been used to you know investing and expecting a return you know they'll invest in a startup and they'll expect three to five years to exit they need that exit some of these startups were you know asking for a hundred million dollars pre-revenue which is wild to me major valuations and so this was a crazy run-up you know, there was so many of these just sole tech investors, not just food investors anymore, just tech investors flooding into the market, getting those first funds that they were getting back, seeing this now new frontier. They were saying it's like, you oh, the last frontier. I feel like it's I got so many people telling me they feel like it's the first days of the Internet, you know. And so they be pouring all of this money into food tech, particularly these meatless meat startups. And then the expectations weren't hitting the mark, but they still are now having these huge tech funds, which expect tech returns, not just like, you know, grocery food returns, which are completely different. And so now what you're seeing in the market is that all these investors that are flooded in are taking back their capital, climbing back. Some of it's being revalued on their balance sheets. Some of it's being written off. There's a dearth of deals happening right now. A lot of the startups that's got a lot of the money last year in this kind of major kind of stockpiling of capital in the industry that was happening. They're now going to have a few years to run through it. And if they can't raise again, they're looking at down round. They were looking at major pressure, major expectations to get to where those investors were expecting. I mean, there would be a lot of these startups that are expected to fail, go bankrupt, get acquired essentially for their intellectual property, sometimes by their manufacturers. There's going to be basically a major shakeout, a major consolidation. And I think You know, it's happening across the sector, but I think it's important to take a step back. What were these investors investing in? They were investing in food that was promising to save the planet and save us all from this really real and catastrophic future that is currently playing out and awaits us even more.
1: Yeah. And David Barber, you point out in your article, also co-founder of Almanac and and now a partner at Astonor Ventures, told Forbes, told you that, you know, in order for these companies to win, there's still hope. But in order for them to win, they need to focus on execution. And execution really falls in these key areas, health, flavor, convenience, or price, or some combination of the above, even better. But those are the things that need to be focused on if these companies have a shot at success and rebounding in this market and still making a case for their relevancy in the marketplace. We hope they do turn it around. It's such a worthy endeavor beyond just a commercial opportunity. And uh, we sure hope it works. Tell us the book again.
0: Thank you. Yes, it's raw deal, hidden corruption, corporate greed, and the fight for the future of meat. And it spans from the consolidation of power in the meatpacking industry, all the way into how investors have been trying to profit off the future with meatless meat startups.
1: All right, Chloe, Chloe Sorvino, thank you so much. Staff writer for Forbes just published an article on this important subject matter. We're cheering for this category. We're cheering for those companies trying to make a run at this. It just makes so much sense. We hope it ultimately proves to work in the marketplace. All right, we're going to run to a quick break right now. Back with more in a minute right here on the Pre-W Smith Show.